Hi, and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin. I used to be a Presbyterian, then Pentecostal lay preacher. After studying the Bible and church history afresh, I converted to Catholicism in December 2017. One thing I really appreciated in my upbringing as a Presbyterian was how they would find a Bible verse to justify or back up each belief that we practised. And one thing I appreciated and still appreciate from my time in the Presbyterian Church was that there was always an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And when I became a Pentecostal, I was a bit disappointed at the lack of emphasis on scripture. I would be lucky if a sermon was based on even a single verse of scripture. When I went to Harvest Bible College, a Pentecostal seminary, it was the year 2000, so it was after Star Wars, The Phantom Menace had been released, and one lady in our homiletics class, which homiletics is the art of preaching, got up and preached her sermon from none other than Yoda from Star Wars. And Yoda said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Which, while that is true, it certainly is not from scripture. And I always had this perception that Catholics hated the Bible. Catholics didn't like reading the Bible and Catholics were afraid if everyone read, read the Bible they would leave the Catholic Church. But when I became a Catholic, part of it was because a lot of myths I had learned about Catholicism had been destroyed. So my topic today is, is Mass the Catholic Mass or Catholic Church service, is Mass biblical? Is it based on Scripture? And I'll tell you what, the Bible itself is based on Catholicism. Let me say that again. The Bible is based on Catholicism. It's not so much that Catholicism is based on the Bible, although we rely on scripture for much of what we believe and preach and practice, but the Bible itself came out of Catholicism, not the other way around. There was no Bible for the first 350 years of Catholic history. And then in 382 AD, the Catholics got about 300 or more Christian books they had, and they went over and decided which was canonical scripture. And they chose the 27 books that make up the New Testament. And they used 46 books to make up the Old Testament. So the very first Christian Bible was in 382 AD and it was made up of 73 books, the 73 we have in the Catholic Bible. But enough on that, let's go to the Mass itself. And prior to 
the Vatican II Council, there were free scriptural readings. After Vatican II, they decided to do more scriptural readings. So we actually have four scripture readings in Mass, in the Sunday Mass. In the weekday Mass, we have three. And these readings are an Old Testament reading from anywhere other than the Psalms, followed by a responsorial psalm, which is a portion of a particular psalm, or even a collection of a group of verses from the Psalms, or other poetic parts of Scripture, parts of Daniel, parts of Chronicles, are used. And a particular phrase of giving glory to God is said and the congregation repeats it. Then the next reading is a New Testament reading from anywhere other than the Gospels, such as one of the letters of Paul or the book of Revelation. And then the fourth reading, everyone stands up and it's called the Gospel reading, which of course is from the Gospels. The Sunday Mass follows a three-year cycle and daily Mass follows a two-year cycle in which you get a huge chunk of scripture read to you. And you get pretty much the bulk of the Psalms. You get 13.5% of the Old Testament other than the Psalms read to you. You get 54.9% of the non-Gospel New Testament read to you and 89.8% .8 of the Gospels read to you. So it's a total of about 71.5% of the New Testament and a total of about 30% of the Bible. And the source of information for this is from Father Felix Just, a Jesuit and a PhD scholar, and his online article at catholicresources.org called Lectionary Statistics. So, contrary to the myth that Catholics have tried to suppress the Bible, the exact opposite is the case for the last 2,000 years, every Catholic, regardless of whether they couldn't read or not, has had scripture read to them in Mass. At least the equivalent of over a chapter of scripture read in every Mass or more. And a balance of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And both the Gospel and somewhere else in the New Testament, and a balance of a psalm and somewhere else in the Old Testament. And it was like St. Augustine said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And some Protestants have said to Catholics, but why weren't you handing out Bibles to everyone throughout all the centuries? And there's two reasons for that. The first reason is because there was no printing press until about 1444, 
when Johannes Gutenberg, a devout Catholic, who lived about 80 years before Martin Luther, invented the printing press. And the first book that was printed was the Bible. And the Catholic Church approved of its distribution. But the question is, why didn't the Catholic Church just hand out Bibles left, right and centre? Well, the simple fact is that until the printing press, Bibles had to be handwritten. So they would take years to be done. And so Bibles were very valuable commodities and they were often chained up in churches, not because Catholics were making fun of the Bible, but because Bibles were valuable and they did not want them to be stolen. They had to be in that church so the people attending Mass could hear Scripture read to them. The second reason why they did not hand out lots of Bibles to people is because the vast majority of people in the world could not read. In fact, it wasn't until 1970 that the majority of the world's population was literate. Instead, what would happen is that all throughout the medieval times, people would attend Mass and they would hear Scripture read to them. And even if that particular church didn't have much scripture available, they would still say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, the most essential prayers that summed up Christianity in a nutshell. And so the office of Pope is based on Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 23, in which the holder of the keys was a man like the Prime Minister. He was a man who was under the authority of the King, but he was given great power and authority. And Jesus used that language for Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, that there would be a holder of the keys. And Isaiah 22 says that this holder of the keys would be called a father and he would wear fine clothing and he would be under the authority of the king. That's why we Catholics call the Pope Father. We put him in fine clothing and we say he's under the authority of the King of Kings, Jesus. He's not the king, he's not God, he doesn't take that responsibility, but he's under the authority of Jesus. The next thing we're going to look at is statues. Is it right to have statues in church? And in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, there was the bronze serpent that God commanded Moses to build. 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 to 32, talks about cherubim statues in the temple. And God was pleased with this, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 3. And in Ezekiel's prophetic temple, there were carvings of palm trees, lions, and cherubim. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 41, verses 17 and 20. The Ten Commandments forbid carvings that are made for worship. So if you're 
carving a statue and you're going to worship, that is strictly forbidden. And Catholics do not worship statues. They may kneel down in front of a statue, just as a Protestant kneels down in front of their pastor and prays, but a Protestant is not worshipping their pastor and a Catholic is not worshipping that statue. Instead, they're both praying to God. We don't re-crucify re Christ at the Mass, contrary to popular belief by some uh, Protestants. And we worship on Sunday. That was the day of Pentecost. It was also the day that the Christians gathered together in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and other parts of Scripture. And Justin Martyr says that Sunday was that day. And Seventh-day Adventists love to quote in Genesis where God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And that was in the first creation. But the resurrection of Christ was a new creation. And that was on a Sunday. And the Catholic Church has the power and authority to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 says that the Church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And scripture also teaches that priests are spiritual fathers, so we call them fathers. In Judges chapter 17 verse 10 and chapter 18 verse 19, the Levite priests were called fathers. And Paul the Apostle described himself as a father to the Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15. Now, some people like to quote where Jesus said, call no man father and call no man teacher in Matthew. But the problem with that is Jesus said many hyperbole things that if you take them literally, it would be absurd. Jesus also said, he who does not hate his father and mother is not worthy to be my disciple. But if you read the context, what Jesus meant was, unless you love me more than other people, you cannot be my disciple. And there are also prayers made to heaven. We pray for the saints. And the question is, why would we Catholics do that? What scriptural basis do we have for doing it? Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 says, Now when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp, and golden bowls full, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So these heavenly creatures were bringing the prayers of the saints to the throne in heaven. And Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 says another angel came and stood over the altar having a golden censer much incense was given to him that he should add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne that's also a reason why we have incense in the catholic church because it's biblical it's in heaven incense is being swung in heaven and the scripture teaches that saints are alive in heaven and they can appear to humans. Think about the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah 
appeared to Jesus and his disciples. And in 2 Maccabees, chapter 15, verses 11 to 17, the Maccabean Jews, who were fighting against the Greeks, the pagan Greeks, had a vision where they saw the prophet Jeremiah and a priest called Onias, who was dead, in heaven, praying for them. And Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 15, tells us that Rachel, the matriarch who lived in Genesis and had been dead for centuries, was weeping and interceding for the people of Judah during their exile and their time of judgment. So we also say the Hail Mary prayer, which is Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Where do we get that in scripture? And it actually comes mostly from Luke chapter 1. Having come to her, the angel said, Rejoice, you highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And so it was, Hail, full of grace, or highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. And then she later went and visited Elizabeth, who was, it says in verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She called out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, that's Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord, or the mother of God, should come to me? And James chapter 5 verse 16 teaches that the prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman avails much. So if Mary is in heaven, alive, watching over us and interceding for us, then her prayers would be very effective. And that's why we ask them for their intercession. But now I'm going to go over the Mass itself, the order of service and I'm going to look at whether or not there's anything biblical, whether or not we even quote from scripture. And I'm indebted to Mark Haas's article, Who Says Catholics Don't Hear the Bible at Mass? And it's from Alatea, August the 12th, 2017. And he found about 135 scriptural quotations in each Mass. Now when we say Mass, um, there are alternative greetings and introductions, but it's roughly well over a hundred of scriptures that are quoted. So I'm going to go over the order of Mass. So they make the sign of the cross to remember what Jesus did. And the priest says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And he's quoting from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Then he makes the greeting, 
in which the priest says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's a quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. An alternative is to say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Or to just say the Lord be with you. And that's from Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. Then there is the penitential act in which the priest and the people say a prayer together and they beat their breasts as they say it for part of it. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I've done and what I've failed to do. And that's from James chapter 3 verse 5, chapter 4 verse 17 and chapter 5 verse 16. And it's from 1 Chronicles 21, 8 and Psalm 19, 15. Then it says, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. And that's based on 1 Thessalonians 5.25. The priest, or the priest will say, Have mercy on us, O Lord, which is Tobit chapter 8, verse 4. And the people say, For we have sinned against you, 1 Timothy 1.2. And then they'll say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and the people say back, Lord have mercy. Then there is the Gloria, which is usually sung or said by the priest. And I'll read it and interject with each scripture, which is based entirely on scripture. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Revelation chapter 7 verse 12. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father. Revelation 19.6. Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father. 2 John 3. You take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. John 1.29. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Romans 8.34 Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. Luke chapter 4 verse 34 You alone are the Lord. Psalm 83 verse 19 You alone are the Most High Jesus Christ. Luke 1.32 With the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father. Amen. John 14. They then do the collect and the priest says through our Lord Jesus Christ your son who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever the people say Amen They then do the readings which I mentioned earlier in the talk the first reading the responsorial psalm the second reading, and then the gospel reading. And then the priest gives a homily, a sermon, usually 10 to 15 minutes long. 
After that, there is the profession of faith. It can be the Apostles' Creed, or it can be the Nicene Creed. And I won't quote that. You can look them up yourselves. They're based fully on Scripture, and they're like a nutshell summary of Christianity. Then there is the offertory chant, where gifts are brought to the altar. And then the preparation of the gifts. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, Romans 9.5. For through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, Song of Solomon 3.13 and James chapter 5 verse 7. Uh, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. John 6.35 Blessed be God forever, the people say, and that's from Psalm 68, verse 36. Then there is the preparation of the wine, and the priest or deacon says, By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. That's from Luke chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. And then the people say, Blessed be God forever, which is, I mentioned before, Psalm 68, 36. Then there is the invitation to prayer. The priest says, Pray, brethren, that this that my sacrifice and yours might be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And that's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And then the people say, May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. And that's based on Psalm 50, Verse 23. Then there is the Eucharistic dialogue. The priest says, The Lord be with you. The people say, And with your spirit. The priest says, Lift up your hearts. We say, We lift them up to the Lord. And that's from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 41. The priest says, Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, which is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. The people say, it is right and just, Colossians 1, 3. And then there is the prayer of thanksgiving. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy, for our, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, Colossians 1, 13, your word through whom you made all things, John 1, 3, whom you sent as our Saviour and Redeemer, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin. That's from Matthew 1.18 and Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Then there is the Sanctus, the people, the priest and the people unite with the choir of angels to praise God the Father and Jesus whom he has sent. And I'm quoting from a book called My First Mass Book because I figured that was a basic way. They didn't put the scriptural references in here, but I went through that article and then marked this book very thoroughly with the scriptural references. Uh, 
So the priest says, fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people. That's 1 Peter 2.9. He stretched out his hands as he endured his passion. Isaiah 65 verse 2 and Romans chapter 10 verse 21. So as to break the bonds of death and manifest the resurrection. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. And so with the angels and all the saints we declare your glory and with one voice we acclaim. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. And that's from Revelation 4.8 and Isaiah 6.3. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Psalm 19.1. Hosanna in the highest. Isaiah 6.3. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21.9 and Mark chapter 11 verses 9 and 10. Hosanna in the highest. And at that point, everyone kneels. You indeed, you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray. 2 Maccabees chapter 1 verse 26. By sending down your spirit upon them like the dew fall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At this time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion. He took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. And that's from Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. And then the priest elevates the host, and he quotes, Take all of this, eat and drink, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. And then the priest sings the mystery of faith, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And he'll say either, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again, or... He'll say, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Or, a third alternative, save us, Saviour of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. And then he said, the priest says, therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, Ephesians 5.20, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church, spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with, and then you name our Pope and our local bishop and all the clergy. And that's based on John 17, verse 1, and Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And then for the dead, remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy, welcome them into the light of your face. And then the priesters have mercy on us all, we pray. 
but with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that's based on Revelation 5, 8, Matthew 1, verses 2 to 16, and Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Through him, and with him, and in him. Romans 11, 36. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 3, all glory and honour is yours forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Then they say the Lord's Prayer, which is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And there is a longer ending to the Lord's Prayer in some translations of the Bible. It ends with, but deliver us from evil. Amen. But the Catholics include that longer reading. But first the priest says, deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that we, by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. John 17, 15. And then the people say, the longer ending to the Lord's Prayer, we say, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And then the priest says the prayer of peace and concludes forever and ever. John fourteen twenty seven. My peace I give you, my peace I leave you. The peace of the Lord be with you always. John twenty nineteen. And then the people say, and with your spirit, let us offer each other the sign of peace. And that comes from Romans sixteen sixteen. And 1 Thessalonians 5.26 and 1 Peter 5.14. So everyone greets each other with a handshake or a nod of acknowledgement, a slight bow. And then from John 1.29, there's the breaking of the bread and the priest says, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. And then the priest says, May the receiving of your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment and condemnation, but through your loving mercy be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy, which is from John 6, 54. The priest says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.29, and blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. And that's a quote from Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. And then the people say a prayer, which is straight, straight out of Scripture, Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, which was when the centurion approached Jesus. And they quote, and, and Jesus said he had not found so much faith in all of Israel. So the priest and the people say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. 
and the priest then takes the communion and then it's given out to the people and the priest says the body of Christ the person says Amen and then there's a period of silence or a song of praise and then the priest uh, says through Christ our Lord and the people say Amen and after everyone's been served communion the priest then says the Lord be with you and the people say and with your spirit again that's from Ruth chapter 2 verse 4 and the priest says may Almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that's from Luke 24 verse 51 the people say Amen and then the priest says go forth the mass is ended or go and announce the gospel of the Lord Mark 16 15 or go in peace glorifying the Lord by your life which is from Luke chapter 7 verse 50 or I'll just say go in peace 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 and then the people say thanks be to God and that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15. So my friends mass from start to finish is based almost entirely on scripture and that is over 135 quotes from scripture in mass along with and that's not including the four bible readings that are done. Thank you for listening, and I hope this has cleared up any misunderstandings. God bless you.